Welcome to TA1. Everything you want to know about adventure racing in the new USARA and then some. I'm your host, legendary Randy Erickson. Had a nice chat last week with um, Garrison. to uh, So we had this episode to let you know what's going on with the, uh, the change in leadership, the new different leadership. Um, all the exciting things they got going and how it came about and why and when and where and whose fever dream it was. So um, you should this episode should answer a lot of your questions if you if you have them. And uh, shoot, other than that, I got nothing to say. What we do? No racing, no playing, no training. So we just have to go out and have fun. So. Um, is this a virtual chat or an actual chat? I'm not sure. Anyway, go fast, take chances, wear a mask, peace out, and thanks for listening. Bye. Michael, are you there? Hi. I am here. Do you have me? Yeah. You could be a little bit louder. Um. Tell you what. Oh, now you are. Oh, it's working now? Okay, perfect. Yep, that's that's good. That's yeah, quite good. Good deal. So, um, okay, I'm going to start with the hardest question I'm going to give you. Oh, boy. Because I, you won't know the answer. <laughs> are you ready? I, I am ready. Why is it that when somebody is named Michael, I have no problem calling him Michael? But people that are named James, it's hard for me not to call them Jim. Some deep-seated past personal trauma that you have yet to deal with? I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I hate to say it, but I am not that deep. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny you mentioned it because I would say half the people or more uh, friends and racers, etc., know me by Garrison more than Mike. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, in fact, I sometimes respond faster to Garrison than I do to, to Mike or Michael. So um, go with whatever works for you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and actually that kind of came up. I thought about that, too, that you're one of those people that have the have a good last name. So Yeah, I was lucky there because I have an incredibly common first name. So um, I'm glad for the good last name. Yeah, Cool. So, but I suppose now we have to call you what? Your Regency, Your Highness, uh, you know what? Boss. Garrison, Garrison <laughs> works for me. I think that's an appropriate thing. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so, all right. Um, I, I don't know how I will have teased this in the opening, but um, how do we start this? <clears throat> Here's a good way. Why am I talking to you right now? Oh, why are you talking to me right now? That's an interesting way of starting it. Um, so I won't go back and start do the uh, the Stand By Me, or was it Goonies? I forget. I think it was Goonies, where, where Chunk started all the way back in childhood. Um, I'll start with yeah. the <laughs> most recent events that got us to where we are, and then you can ask yep. as many questions as you want. Um, I think it was 2018 or so, I decided that I wanted to get involved in a sport in the U.S. a little bit uh, higher level. I'd directed some races in the past, and I wanted to kind of do what I could to give back and contribute. And there was an opening on the board with ARC. And so I volunteered for that spot and got involved. So it wasn't like the first wave of people that were on the ARC board, kind of either the first and a half or second or somewhere in there. And, you know, I worked in, with them. I did the, the books um, and was there as ARC continued to, to grow and add some new features and some new assets for racers. And I think it was sometime late, late 19. Um, I'm sure there was lots of big picture. In fact, I know there was big picture type conversations uh, while a lot of us were in Fiji. But um, late 19, we started talking about, um, or somebody asked a real basic question, like, does anybody know uh, what Troy's plan is with USARA long-term? Been doing it for 20 years. Has anybody actually talked to him? And the answer is, like, no, nobody's talked to him recently. And so I volunteered to, to reach out and connect with, with Troy. 
And I'd only really ever, you know, passing greetings at nationals for years. And I chatted with him for five or 10 minutes after nationals this past year in 2018. And um, was getting ready to reach out to him. And Mark Latanzi suggested that I reach out to Abby and Brent and Cliff and Kate first, because he was under the impression they may be preparing to kind of ask Troy that same question. And I said, yeah, that, that's a great idea. I don't want Troy to be getting hammered with, with questions from a bunch of different groups or whatever. So I gave him a call, and this was probably, I think, late February. Um, we're getting pretty close to pandemic times, so it was mid-late February. And I called them, and they confirmed, like, yeah, they've actually been kind of chatting about what they might be interested in doing and, and asking Troy that same question, but also knowing if, if they were willing to take it to that next step if, if Troy said, you know what, I would be um, interested in kind of moving on and, and doing the next thing or whatever. And so we had a whole bunch of emails exchanged, um, and they actually floated the idea of the, if we pursued this path and if Troy was interested in, in selling it and if he was interested in moving on and, and we could actually acquire it, um, in setting up the, the next version of USARA as a not-for-profit uh, with a board and an executive director, and they asked if I was interested in the executive director role. Um, and it really was, it came a really good time for me. You know, I've uh, been in, in family business for almost, shoot, 16 years. Uh, I've run it for the past 10. I sold the company in 2018. I'm still there, um, still running the business, but kind of starting to think about what's next. And so when they brought up the possibility of being able to contribute in this way, um, as executive director, I thought, hey, this is maybe what I've been training for uh, in the last 16 years as far as career goes. So that at that point, we kind of said, yep, let's let's talk to Troy. And then it turned out a flurry of emails, and he, he was interested, um, and he liked um, he knew everybody in, in, in our group to varying levels, and he had a lot of confidence in what we'd be able to do. Uh, where we'd be able to go with it. And so, yeah, the rest is, is history. The world went on lockdown, and um, what feels like hundreds of hours of Zoom calls later, here we are. Was um, this actually a lot easier because you were guys were all in lockdown and you weren't out training and racing? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a good point. We were all stuck inside, and we were starved for human contact, even if it was virtual. Um, and honestly, you know, we talked, too, about both leading up to this and throughout the rest of this year, the fact that there's so few races active, um, we've been able to spend time talking about different things, like big picture things for USARA and not have as much administrative stuff that we have to think about handing off. Um, so it, it sucks for all of us as racers because we want to be out there racing, but for yeah. the, the six of us that are looking at kind of taking this over and, and and moving it forward, we've had a lot more personal time to, to devote to it, and then obviously not having to worry as much about you know nationals coming up and, and bunches of races running and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, timing is everything, right? Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> you you, you want to hit the swamp at daylight, not at not at sunset. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so so you mentioned your uh, cohorts, but. Let, tell everybody actually who who you all are yeah, yeah. who's responsible for this. Yeah, so um, the way it's going to be set up is we're going to be, uh, like I mentioned, set up as a not-for-profit. We're going to be starting right out of the gate with a board of five people, and on that board will be Abby Perkis, Brent Friedland, uh, Cliff and Kate Wright, and Mark Latanzi. Uh, and so they will function as the board of five, and then my role will be executive director and I'll report to the board. Now, as we get going, um, obviously in a non-racing United or almost non-racing United States, when you look at the, the revenue situation, it's not as ideal as you'd maybe like it to be. Um, but yeah, the, the board will be a working board and so we'll all be working together to make sure we're getting everything done and undertake a lot of the things that we've got on the list uh, here in the first year or so. And I don't, I, I could, if I'd done more homework, I could have told you how many races we've all done. Um, uh, I, I know Mark's been around for over 20 years. I started racing in 01, um, Abby Bryant, Cliff and Kate for a number of years, and we've all directed races to varying degrees. So 
Um, you've got a fair amount of experience, and I think most people that have raced a little bit have at least heard of us or one of us. Yeah, well, for for people that don't know, and see, you, you don't have to know this because they can all go back because all of those guys have been on the podcast. So there's at least one, and I think a few of them may have two episodes. Yeah, so you think that, that I got selected to be on the podcast because of my new role as executive director, but actually <laughs> was the, I was the only one that hadn't been on yet. And so yeah. they said, well, you need to get on there. So here I am. Yeah. So in in uh, in all honesty, I keep this list of people in my head, and, and you were on the list. That doesn't mean you're going to make it ever, but you were on that list. I feel like there was an, a, a near miss at some point. I can't remember after what race or for what reason, but um, but yeah, I'm glad to. Well, make you it. know what? I think maybe after um, uh, uh, Em and Earl's race last year, we talked about it. Oh, Maybe. Castlewood. Yeah. Possibly. Castlewood? Yeah, it could have been. Could have been. Yeah, anyway. So, yeah, because it's not like I've never met you, but then I've met a lot of people. That doesn't mean much. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, okay. You know, you know how I go. So, let's. here's a real basic thing. What is the USARA? Yeah, so for those that aren't as familiar with a little bit of the background, uh, USARA was actually started back in 1998, I think it was, um, back in the early, early days of adventure racing, uh, pre-internet days of adventure racing, which brings a whole new perspective on how you would have done a lot of this stuff, both organizing a national group and promoting an event without the internet. Um, but yeah, Troy Farrar, uh, he was involved in those early years. He and a bunch of his buddies, uh, like many of us, got interested because of Eco Challenge. Um, a lot of the people that he knew actually uh, had done Eco Challenge and came back, started putting on races in the U.S. And he identified the opportunity and the need to kind of, first of all, bring together some safety standards um, to make sure people are all kind of on the same page with that, but also start kind of bringing the races together in the United States. And the first nationals championship race was in 2000, I think. Uh, it put on U.S. areas, put on a national championship. Every year since then, uh, it's grown a fair amount over the years uh, and is there to provide you know, safety standards uh, in the community, insurance benefits for, for race directors, and then obviously the national championship race. Uh, so that's kind of the, the history and background of, of U.S. area in a nutshell. Yeah. So is that kind of the two big things for racing now is is one insurance and two nationals i mean it, it has that been kind of the focus and and, and a schedule of some sorts but yeah and then what are, what are you thinking moving forward yeah so we've had a lot of conversations about this and so if, if you step back and look at it from a broad perspective what are the things that okay so if, if us area is going to be a value continue to be a valuable component uh, for the sport, for the community, how do you how do you break that down? So you've got race directors. Um, we have no sport if you don't have race directors, and, and you've been to plenty of races. You know that if somebody is putting on an adventure race, if they're directing an adventure race, they're not doing it because of the fantastic revenue model that adventure racing <laughs> presents. They're doing it because it's sport, right? Um, in some yep. way, shape, or form. So in order for our sport to survive and thrive, we have to make sure that the race directors have everything that they need. So what can we do to support them? Then you look over to the racers. What do racers want and need? Um, how do we support the racers, new racers, experienced racers? What can we do for them? And then you have the sport in general. Um, one of the things I'd love to see someday, this is maybe a personal mission or goal. Yeah. I would love to not have to explain what adventure racing is every time I talk to people about it. <laughs> Uh, I've been doing it for 20 years, and I'm still not entirely sure that my mom knows what it is. I think she got it. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, if we could get the sport to where it's, it's mainstream. I'm going to say mainstream because I think it's fine if adventure racing stays kind of a niche sport. But if at least it's recognized and people know what it is. So if you say, yeah, I'm going to go up and do an adventure race up at the lake this weekend, your friends all say, oh, that's cool. They don't ask, you know, what the heck yeah. is that? So you've got is that is that a tough mutter? <laughs> yeah, is that a tough mutter? Which part do you do? Um, you know, all those different questions that yep. you all can't yep. figure out clever answers for. 
Um, but yeah, you look at the race directors, the racers, and, and the support in general, and then you break it down as to what each of those areas needs most. And then, you know, the national championship series, I think, is an important part of that. Insurance and safety is an important part of that. Calendar is an important part of that. But there's more that can be added in there. Uh, and that's part of what we want to identify moving forward is, is how do we fill out what USARA can do in those three areas to ensure the future of the sport. So, yeah, so you're just, I mean, you, you guys are not going to be putting on races. No, no. USARA is not going to be putting on races. Not in the traditional sense. I mean, you know, yeah. nationals traditionally have been a race director um, putting on, on the event with, with USARA there, you know, supporting and backing up and stuff like that. Um, there may be some evolution of how nationals are done in the future, um, but it's definitely more of those one step at a time uh, type situations. But um, we've got to have a strong community of race directors for the sport to be to be successful. How do you how do you build that community? Because you know, race directors, you know. I think by nature have to be kind of hard-headed and stubborn and, you know, to get things done. How do you get them all together and on the same page? That's a, that's a good question. And if I ramble too much, stop me. Um, no, no. Just remember, people want to hear you, not me. Yeah. So I guess I'll start with one of the things that makes our sport amazing and in my opinion makes it as appealing as it is is that it does have so many differences it has so many presentations there's so many ways you can put on a race different types of races even if you have a race with a very traditional run bike paddle with navigation like how that presents itself race by race is completely different and so that's part of what this sport is so you know to your point when you say getting on the same page, you have to be very careful about kind of how you define that page, if you will, because we don't want to, you know, take away that individuality and that uniqueness. And you're right, you know, if you're going to put together the resources, put it on a venture race, you've got some some discipline, you know, uh, maybe a little passion, yeah. stubbornness, and hard-headedness in there as well. But, you know, for us, the first step is going to be a lot of um, a lot of outreach and honestly, kind of listening. Um, one of the things that I plan on doing in the first few months is is talking to all the race directors in the U.S. and having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with them um, to try and understand like what do they want from USARA? Where do they see the sport going in the U.S.? What are their own personal goals as race directors? And so you identify area that the, the identify first the areas that we can easily come together on. Um, and, and then you kind of build build from there because a strong sport in one region can start helping strengthen the sport in other regions. And we don't have to agree on every last detail of what an adventure race is to be able to agree that, like, hey, if we're all putting on quality racers, races and making happy racers, we all benefit. So... Yeah, it's it's a tough one. I know I kind of didn't give like a an ironclad specific answer to that because I don't think there is one yet. But no. that's our priority is to try and kind of figure out as much of that answer as we can and then make it happen. So, so yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's a tough group, and in you know the pandemic, which has been working for you, not going to work against you because now you got to start getting these things put together. <laughs> And some races on. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, that's true. I, what is, I mean, let's see, the Bear is on the schedule. Jeff's racing. Is there anything else, you know, going to happen this year? Do you know? Yeah, so I don't know off the top of my head the traditional races that are definitely happening. I know that there's still some, <clears throat> excuse me, on the schedule in the fall and winter, but, I mean, what we learned from the first, as we first got into this whole pandemic thing, is is your your what you think you know one day, you go to bed the next day, and you got to re you know relearn everything because things have evolved and changed. Uh, but we are going to be putting on a virtual national event on the weekend of nationals because 
as everybody should know by now, um, at least everybody that's listening to this probably knows by now, uh, you know, the, na- the national championship race was canceled. Um, it was it was tough. A big part of that decision stems from the fact that to have a national race with people coming from all over the country, you got different regions with, with different health situations, health and public safety situations, and trying to bring people to travel and all that. It just it was kind of a choice, the decision that had to be made. But we'll be doing uh, a virtual event um, that same day, and there may be the ability to do it a day or two earlier as well. And it will be somewhat modeled after the lockdown race that Brent and Abby put on with Rootstock Race mm-hmm. earlier this year. Uh, it will be shorter, it will be 12 hours, uh, but a lot of the same elements and some fine-tuning that they learned from their first time around. And then there's some other pieces to that that we're working on because – Getting out there, the virtual events are great because they give you some motivation to get out there. But the one thing I know everybody is missing is the community part. So what can we do to try and bring people together? And, yeah, it's going to have to be virtual and lots of video and stuff like that. But maybe at least seeing some pictures of all your racing friends, um, maybe some video chats and stuff like that. Desperate times, desperate measures, right? So it's it's not in person after the race and all that, but at least we got something. So, yeah, we'll be doing that um, weekend of, of what was supposed to be Nationals on September 12th. Yeah. Well, that's, that's cool. doesn't help me much. Yeah, <laughs> true. Hard to take virtual <laughs> pictures. <laughs> but, so, um, so the Nationals basically has just been postponed a year, right? Yeah. It's, uh, right now, it's, everything's pointing to we're going back to cable in 2021. So. Yeah. And then in 2022, you're going to bend. I mean, don't be surprised. And one of the things we talked about <laughs> with uh, nationals is, um, I mean, it's, it's no secret that it's gotten very heavily uh, very East Coast centric, East of the Mississippi centric. Yeah. And we really want to get it back to a national event to where we're going out West and East. So, you know, how we do that and how it looks remains to be seen, but definitely do not be surprised to see a national schedule. I think we will start announcing um, more locations kind of further out as we're able to nail down as that becomes possible. And don't be surprised to see events kind of bouncing back and forth uh, between the East and the West as as we get that rolling. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I would say it only seems fair, but then, you know, there's a lot, and you maybe, maybe you know the number. I mean, what percentage of racers are east of the Mississippi or, you know, east, let's say, as opposed to, you know, Colorado and going west? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's got to be – well, I live east of the Mississippi, so it's it's, it's I've got a biased perspective on that. Um, that's yeah. where I race a lot of my racing. But, um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's – if we're going to succeed in kind of unifying the racing scene and creating a national community for adventure racing – we got to crack that nut. You know, we got to figure out how to have races out west, the national championships out west, and you know, it is going to be harder for some teams to get out there. I fully understand and respect that, um, but I think we can we can do some things to help make that happen. Yeah. So nationals of you know, I guess have always been traditionally twenty four. Is there any any thought of making it a little longer? Like, so if you know, if team's going to go to to Oregon, it makes it a little more of a you know, more worth it, quote unquote. Well, you know what? I don't know that that's come up, but I will actually take note of that. It's an interesting idea because then you know the travel time versus race time. Every team does that. <clears throat> well, I guess it's a yeah. three part equation: travel time uh, and and expense. You know, and then the time yeah. spent racing. But yeah, I mean that's a that's a valid point. I mean, it, we do want nationals, the USA Area National Championship, to be. Um, a premier event continue to be a premier event even more so we want teams to really want to get there um, we want teams to be wanting to be there enough that they are, are taking it into account on their, their scheduling their year um, yeah. so. well I mean it, it, it should be the high point I mean that's you know that's why they should go qualify is because it's a big deal right right um, let's see. You know, I got I got this list of questions that Cliff sent like 
Like I'm paying, a, I'm going to pay attention to a professional journalist, what he thinks. <laughs> but <laughs> feel free to go off script. <laughs> <laughs> we are, but actually, he's a professional journalist, and I'm a, I'm a guy with a podcast. But, um, <laughs> and this, this was one that I didn't think about until I read it. But, but so what? What's going to happen with uh, Arc, the Venture Racing Cooperative? Yeah. So. Um, like I mentioned, I'm, I've been involved uh, on the ARC board. Um, you know, Mark is the one that got the ARC off the ground back in 17 or so. Uh, he'll be on the USARA board. Um, you know, ARC was really came into being to kind of fill some gaps and some holes uh, for things that race directors and races wanted or needed that what weren't currently being being met. And when we look at how we can strengthen the community in the U.S., you know, USARA can take on a lot of those things under the umbrella of USARA. And so that, that's the direction that we're moving. Um, and if there's anything that ARC is doing that the community finds valuable that doesn't necessarily fit neatly under the USARA umbrella, we're going to make sure that it finds a home uh, so the community continue, can continue to get that benefit. One example, kind of really general one, is when you look at international type stuff, you know, it's the United States Adventure Racing Association. What do we do with international type things? Um, we do want to be a resource for racers, you know, so that's one part of it. But we want to make sure that we kind of stay on target uh, as far as where our focus is. But, yeah, I mean, the plan is to um, fold in most, if not all, of what ARC is doing into, into USARA and moving forward. But have it just a little bit, yeah. It, it's uh, maybe a place where like orphan projects go, yeah. So you can work on them there. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's cool. So you got you said you were. Uh, this came up in conversations when you guys were in Fiji. Was this pre-race or post-race? Um, during and then post. I recall post-race conversations marginally better than the during-race conversations. Um, but I, I don't know that I've done a multi-day race and not have had some conversation with my teammates about, you know, anything from the future of the sport to, you know, whatever. Um, yeah. you got to dig deep sometimes to find things to talk about after a few days. That's true. But I think the one difference is, um, yeah, you have those conversations before and after the race with all these great ideas and this we should do this and we should do that and wouldn't this be cool and we should go here and finally one of them actually happened. Yeah. <laughs> if you talk about it enough, eventually something happens. So um. Yeah. So what do you think that adventure racing in the US is gonna get a eco bump? Um, short answer, yes. The longer answer, don't know how much that's going to be. Um, yeah. it's, it's interesting because I'm 43, so everybody from their mid to late 30s on up has like an 80% chance of being a, a one degree of separation. In other words, you're in, in the sport because of something eco-challenge related. And then if you take it one degree separation further away from that, well, then the person that got you in the sport, well, they probably got into the sport because of the eco-challenge. So it has that gravitas from back in the late 90s, early 2000s. With this day and age of media consumption and how all that works, I mean, who knows um, it, what, the kind of, what, what, the, what the boost is going to be. Um, it is a Bear Girls thing. Bear has a huge following, yeah. a huge following. So if even a small percentage of – excuse me, Bear Grylls fans decide to Google adventure racing and try it out, that is a not insignificant number of people. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think we'll see something. I honestly I can't tell you how much, and, and not much would surprise me, you know, if it was just a little bit or if it was overwhelming. Yeah, it's a uh, – well, one, like you said, you don't know, you know, is anybody going to watch it? into, you know, are they going to do anything? It's just, it, you know, it's not like when it was on originally, they didn't have anything else to watch. So that's the, I, I don't, I personally don't think it matters 
that it's not on network TV. Do you have any feelings about that? Um, no, I don't. I don't think I don't think it matters. Um, everybody's streaming so much, and Amazon. So many people have an Amazon Prime membership. Like I've got family members and friends who I've said, "Oh, it's going to be Amazon Prime." And they're like, oh, we don't have that. I was like, do you have Amazon Prime for shipping? They're like, yeah. I'm like, well, then you have the TV thing, too. <laughs> yeah. So, a little bit of education there. Um, but, yeah, I think yeah. it'll get out there. And I think, um, um, I guess, maybe one upside of the pandemic is people are going to be – they've, they've burned their content the last four months, right? So they're, they're looking for new things yeah. to watch. So, did you expect that it was going to be this long before it was on? Um. Not really. Um, I think <laughs> it was an interesting dynamic, actually, in Fiji. You got 600 and some people that either are racing or crew members or Amazon people or eco people. And uh, rumors would just, like, it was the most intense rumor mill you've ever been in. I would hear something yep. six times within two hours, which in any other situation I would think gave it credibility. But there, it didn't. It just meant that everybody's chattering a whole bunch. You know, so there's lots of, lots of gossip about where it was going to be next and when it was going to be there. So based on that, we're like, well, shoot, if they're going to do this again next year, even if they go to the Southern Hemisphere, like, they've got to launch the darn thing by, like, April or May in order to get it out there, get the interest, then you put out your call for applications and go through the whole process again. Um, so, yeah, once that time came by, then it was – I honestly don't understand the economics behind streaming platform media. You know, they're not selling ad space, so I don't know what motivates Amazon as far as when's a good time to release it. So at that point, you're just yeah. kind of sitting back and waiting to hear the word go. Yeah. Well, you want you want my cynical yeah. evaluation? Yeah, bring it on. <laughs> um, Amazon doesn't give two shakes about adventure racing or when it's on. But um, they wanted Mark Barnett. I've heard that before. So. Maybe I heard it from you over pizza in St. Louis. I'm not sure. So, which who cares? It's on. They did it. <laughs> but I mean, but yeah, it was when in um, late early fall that, that the rumor was around that it was going to be Patagonia. Yeah, you know, and that's that's. Yeah, and, and I only remember that because that was the impetus. That's how Paulette ended up at C to C. So, gotcha. long story. Yeah. <laughs> but isn't everything in adventure racing a long story? It's hard. To, I don't know. I don't have any short ones. That's for sure. <laughs> so, that's uh, that's good for those late late nights out there. Um. All right, that's enough of this wacky stuff. Although I'm sure I'll come up with some questions, but did was Eco Challenge your your uh, entry, your gateway drug? It was. I distinctly remember watching um, Eco Challenge British Columbia. Uh, I can't remember if I watched it on network TV when it first came out, but I I do, and I still have it somewhere. I had it on VHS uh, along with Morocco. I forget what the third one was. Uh, but, yeah, that was it. And it was back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And I just filed it away on the someday maybe if I'm lucky category. Um, had no idea there were shorter races available. Heck, there may not have been when I first saw it. Um, and then I think in 2001 I found out that there were six out of races, and that's how I kind of got started uh, into the sport. But So where did you have? I mean, what was your background going into it? Any Was there any, or did you decide this was what you needed to do? Very little. Um, I didn't do any organized athletics in, in high school or college. I think I ran my first half marathon in 99 or 2000, somewhere in there. Uh, I ran my first marathon in 2001. Uh, unfortunately, the weekend before my first adventure race um, was not the brightest move in the world for somebody who had not been an athlete prior to that. But uh, yeah. it didn't take me very long to figure out that if, you, if you're if you kind of good at a bunch of stuff but not great at anything, then adventure racing is a fantastic sport for you. So it got hooked pretty quick. 
No. So were you? Did you have a team, or were you, you know, soloing, or no, I had a team. where? And where were you racing at? Uh, racing in Indiana. So the first race I did was Kentucky. It was actually a Don Man race, you know, the six hour uh, Jeep Kentucky Adventure Challenge. And I'll always remember that because the last part of the race was drag towing a Jeep uphill. We um, using a couple of ropes. Um, that was the first one, and then a lot of racing, you know, in the Midwest, Indiana, Illinois, Ohio. Um, Kentucky for the first few years, and I moved to Indianapolis from Bloomington, Indiana in 2004 and started racing with a team, Indy Rootstock, uh, no relation to Rootstock Racing, uh, different Rootstock entirely. Um, yeah, I raced with them for a few years, and then Bushwhacker for a few years, and then the last couple of years I've been racing with BB-8. No. So, you're Midwest boy. How come you aren't? A, how come you aren't into sprint car racing? That's a good question. Um, I've been to the Indy 500. I know it's not sprint car. I mean, it, it, yeah. yeah. Well, that's funny because my next question was, "What have you been to the 500?" I have, and I'm like, I'm one of those locals that like I checked the box, and I've been there. I think twice. Yeah. Been to Carb Day, and I'm like, okay, I've done it, and. It's not for me. I'm glad that a lot of people love this because it's you know it keeps other areas from being quite so crowded. But uh, it's not my not my ball of wax. I used to give my friends that were into auto racing a lot of grief, and I'd say, really, you're going to sit around all day Sunday and watch dudes drive in circles. Like, how is that interesting? And then a few years later, I'm watching the Tour de France on TV, and I realize I'm watching a bunch of skinny guys in Lycra ride bikes uphill. And I decided at that point I'm going to stop judging others for what they enjoy watching. (laughs) (laughs) So that, um, to me, that's the Internet's greatest, greatest gift is the, uh, uh, the uh, highlight shows on YouTube. You know, you can, you can watch, you know, the tour of, you know, 15 minutes of the Tour de France, that stage and get everything you need. And, you know, and, and, and I, and I am with you, Paulette and I used to, we, we would record the tour all summer and then use it and watch it all winter. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I know I know exactly where you are on that. So, um, so you started out, you know, I mean, I think you have the basic, uh, the traditional six hour moving on up. So what, so when did you start getting into expeditions? Yeah. So I didn't, I was a late bloomer in expedition. My first, Expedition was in 2012. It was untamed. Um, I raced it as a two-person team with Rachel Furman. It's when um, we were racing as Bushwhacker. And I distinctly remember doing the LBL race with her that year and just getting my butt kicked uh, and getting done with that race and saying, Rachel, I don't think I can do this expedition thing. And she talked me back into it and had an absolute blast. It's actually where I met uh, Brent and Abby and Mark for the first time. Um, we bounced around for a few days with them and ended up uh, finishing the race with them. And that was good for us because thanks to the dam release, we lost our pack raft. And if not for Mark's aggressive paddling, uh, all of our gear would be somewhere out in the Atlantic right now. And uh, it would been a real sad finish to that race. But yeah, that was my first... Um, first expedition and it was funny because I got done and I realized that in some ways it hurts a lot less than quote unquote short racing like 24 hour races um, a little more mental and a little less intense physicality um, okay we'll, we'll continue but t- did you find it strange about the dam releases in New England how they do that because you know I'm coming from South Dakota you know we got the Missouri River with control dams and it never, ever, ever occurred to me that they, like, let more water out at different times. Well, I never, ever would have imagined that was the case. Uh, but yeah. it's a good thing Grant told us explicitly about that before the race, and then most people promptly yeah. forgot. Uh, and plus, it was the last day, so I didn't have many brain cells firing well at that point. Yeah. It, it's like tides. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I swear to God, every time I have been on an ocean and shooting, I look over and a camera bag is floating. That's that's what happened to our pack raft, and it happened in about 11 minutes. I uh, went into a bunch of checkpoint and came back, and 
two are floating and one is gone. And it was ours and it was gone. Yeah. <laughs> so, and what is it? I mean, was it just because Untamed was there and it had it? There's so many people that that was their first expedition and, and they still kept coming back. Oh, man, that's a good question. So Rachel had done her first expedition a year or two prior. It was the return of Raid the North. Um, and that one was a true expedition from what I heard. There wasn't as much race yeah. as it was survival. And I think she's the one that approached me. So the only reason it was untamed for me is because, you know, that's the one that she brought up. Um, and I'd never raced in Maine, and I said, great, let's go for it. And I was all stressed out about it being cold and wet, and I think it was, like, the hottest week on record in Maine. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't remember being cold ever there that year. So, <laughs> so, I mean, I ask this a lot of people, and it's a really dumb question, but, but what is it about being out there for that long that, that's good for you. What does it? What does it? What does it do for you? Um, that's a question I've tried to answer and answered a number of times. I probably answer it a little bit different. For me, the expedition racing is different in that you're out there long enough that you really completely detach from quote unquote normal life. And there's something, I don't know if you want to call it basic or primal or whatever, to where it's you and your team, uh, and it's a course out in front of you, and that's it. Like, that is all you focus on, and kind of that singularity of focus, uh, and then taking a task that can seem, in a lot of cases, overwhelming at the beginning and, and breaking it down and working your way through it. Um, don't get me wrong. There are, I've retired more times in the middle of, of races um, than I can count, uh, but it, always that feeling of gratification when you come out the other side, having gotten it done. Um, it's just, I think the fact the expedition race just grinds you down that much more. There's a sleep deprivation, and then there's just the sheer magnitude of ground that you cover. Um, it kind of takes the the 24-hour adventure race experience and turns it up to 11. Yeah, I get it. So well, that that means I have to ask you my my patented no trademark question of your best and your worst six hours racing. <laughs> uh, well, the the worst and this may be recency bias. Um, and some video has already come out. So people have an idea. I, it was it, I think it was six hours or more. I think it's more than six hours in Fiji. Um, I have never seen mud like I've seen on that island. Mm -hmm. And there was a quote-unquote mountain bike section that, um, I mean, we all, I think, quit at one point on that mountain bike section with our bikes just because it was so brutal. And it was hills kind of up and down, and you get to the top of the of an hill carrying this mud-crusted bike. You couldn't even push the bikes. It was so bad. Um and you get to the top of the hill, and you still don't see the end, and you still don't see the end. And I was so focused on the getting our bikes through it, and, and just you know, I think I took the wheel off my wheels on my bike and strapped it to my pack, maybe. But um, I I'd lost track of where we were on the map. It was it wasn't a place you were going to get lost. Uh, but I, I they're asking me like how much longer, and I'm like, guys, I don't even know how fast we're moving. Like a half a kilometer an hour, maybe. Um, so yeah, that was that was misery. Now it's one of our favorite stories to tell. So I don't – that's yeah, like – it always is. Yeah, type 2 fun, type 3 fun or whatever. Um, but, you know, it sucked yeah. at the time. Um, great story now. Um, yep. It's not – gosh. It's not one six-hour period, but in almost every race, I can think back to a specific morning where the sun is coming up, usually towards the end of the race where I don't feel tired, I don't feel sore, and there's just this kind of pure joy of being out there. Um, and I think it's because you've, you've gotten ground down for a few days at that point, and it's, it's, I don't know, simple things in life or whatever, but I can think of mornings like that in Wyoming. I can distinctly remember one at Untamed in 2012. Uh, I love I love those moments. Those are great. Um, yeah. That's that's an acceptable answer. Good deal. 
So, and I, it's, I mean, it's too bad we can't talk about the, the race that can't shout, not be yeah. named, but. Very soon. Um, <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, and see, that's probably when we would have normally had you on because I'll start hitting up everybody I know once it's out. Oh, question about it. How are you, how are you going to watch it? Because I've actually seen people that are, that are like going to, you know binge the whole thing at one time and, and, you know, which I'm sorry, it seems a little ridiculous. And actually I may be shooting motorcycles on the 14th. So. Yeah. So, um, the way, so Cliff and Kate, that strong machine had a family team together for that race. And then yeah. they had a family member, Cliff's brother, um, had to drop out. And that's how Cliff and Kate, contacted me and I think it was Cliff's brother's wife was going to be their crew and so they were also down a crew person and I had a, a good friend John McInnes who he raced I think he's done the Southern Traverse I know he's raced in New Zealand uh, he raced back in the late 90s a bunch up in Canada so he knows the sport um, I've directed a couple races yeah. with him so I asked him I'm like hey you want a crew for us and he had to do the same thing you know check out with family and work and all that but he was in and so he ended up being our crew person. So John lives maybe 15 minutes from me. So as far as how to watch it, um, I'm not sure how many episodes we're going to watch over the weekend, but we'll probably have some, some friends over to my place to watch part of it and then his place to watch part of it. Um, I know I won't get through the weekend without watching the whole thing, and I'll probably have to watch it twice if I want to see myself, I anticipate. You know, I've, <laughs> I've told – I'm trying to get my family – prepared and say like if you want to see me on eco challenge take a picture to my to the tv down in the bottom corner and then you'll see me on eco challenge but um so we'll see though <laughs> so yeah i think i'm gonna i'm i think i'm just gonna watch it when i watch it but i also have an idea of uh once i watch it then maybe finding somebody from each episode and and watch it and re, and do a do an episode as we watch it. So. Yeah. But, well, so uh, you know, if you're if you're interviewing these people that that are that have done the race, um, you know, you can do your part to help grow the sport. Because um, I know I talked to a few teams um, that were near us at times or after the race, um, and there were a number of teams that had never done an adventure race. Um, yeah. and didn't know much about it until they jumped in with both feet, which, heck, that's a lot of, how a lot of people did it back in the late 90s. But um, I realized pretty quickly while we were there that needed to start talking about the sport with them and explain, like, hey, if you want to do more of this on a smaller scale, this is what you do. So, Yeah. It, it, it would be very curious to have a chart to see how many, <laughs> how many eco people do another race. Yeah, I think you'll see a fair amount. Um, yeah, depending on the people. So, yeah, but I'm I'm like you when I was looking at you know looking at the list of teams. It's like I it don't take this personally. Everybody on that list is either like been on the podcast or I've met them or I've never heard of them. Yeah, <laughs> it was it's a, like two completely separate pages, but uh, yeah. So yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how many people binge it. So, um, so what about you? Are you gonna have? Assuming we ever get to race again, are you, are you gonna have time to race, or are you gonna be busy executive directing? Oh, I'm definitely gonna find time to race. Still. In fact, you know, I mentioned reaching out to all the race directors, um, you know, via video call or whatever in the coming months. I'd like to expand on that and get out and, and meet as many as possible, which is a great uh, excuse slash reason to do some races around the country. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't expect that I'm going to hang up the compass quite yet. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, I think that's a good excuse. I have to go to the race. I have to meet the race director. My job now. <laughs> yeah. So, and I think guess, I guess this is a little – I mean, obviously, you really can't have anything on your on your schedule because that's what I always ask people: what's on your schedule? But um, so I'll ask the the bucket list question. 
So which race is the two-part bucket list question. So what's out there that you want to do someday? Oh, so, I mean, I, I this is so common, and it's kind of a cop-out, but the two that I would love to do would be <laughs> New Zealand and Patagonia. Uh, yeah. Just because I can't, you can't love the sport and not look at those, and at the very least think that you want to go. Then I know, especially for Patagonia, as you talk to people, <laughs> you may have second you know, second thoughts. But uh, I would love to be able to uh, race in both those places. Yeah. Well, people have heard me say this before, but you know, Paulette's raced down here twice, and both times it really, really sucked, and she'd go again yeah. in a second. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> So, and then the the the, the more hippy dippy question in that vein is, what race would you do if you could go back and do a race in history? Oh wow! Huh. I think it would have to be Eco Challenge British Columbia because that was the one. I, I explicitly remember that being the one that I watched and thought, damn, that is super cool. Um, so to be able to, I mean, that's why going to Eco is pretty cool, uh, fantastically cool, because I never ever thought that would be an opportunity. Uh, but, yeah, if you, had, if you could go back in time to be able to do the one that got me hooked would be, a, would be pretty satisfying. Very, that's a good choice. If you'd have said Borneo, I'd have called you a liar. Uh, no way in hell. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have said that I've checked the Jungle Box, and I feel no need to check yeah. that one again. But if somebody called me and asked me to go race an Eco Challenge and a Jungle again, I would, I, I'd be lying if I didn't say I'd consider it. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, you have that. Obviously, your your default is yes. <laughs> and somebody yeah. says, "Let's go do something stupid." Yep. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't think you become an adventure racer without it. No, that's 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 a very valid point. Yeah. Um. Anything we haven't talked about that we should with with the uh, new USARA? Um. I mean, I think we covered uh, most of the bases. The big thing, like I mentioned, is we've got some really motivated, passionate people that are racers and race directors that want to do all that we can for this sport. Um, it's been really rewarding, all the conversations that we've had, seeing kind of how aligned we are in that, that big picture and, and what we want to do. And, you know, we need the community to do that. So if people have thoughts idle, strong, or otherwise that they want to share, um, you know, we want to talk to them. Um, we want to get that input. Um, everybody to have a voice, and then obviously when we have hard decisions to make at times, because like you mentioned early on in the podcast, uh, a lot of opinions, and some of them are very strong opinions, and how do you bring all those people together? Uh, and it's not going to be an easy task in every aspect, but it's one that I know I personally am really looking forward to. Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot of good things ahead. Um, it's when we come out of the pandemic it's not going to be like a snap of the fingers overnight, but as we ease back into racing together again, we will someday. I just really look forward to seeing kind of the reactions in everybody as we all come back together the way that we're used to um, and doing the thing that we love. So that's, that's a big motivation for me. Yeah. Yeah. I hope, I mean, maybe by, maybe by spring things will be normalish. Let's hope. I mean, if you, put the, if you put the ish qualifier on there, I think we can get away with anything. I know that's I've been, I've been using that qualifier as navigator for almost 20 years. Um, whenever I'm not sure, I always say we're getting close ish, or it's about ish. three miles ish, and that's my get up to a free card, so people don't get mad at me when I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah. Might this might be the last hill? I'm not quite sure. Yeah, right. It's, it's so, the last yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so. Um, okay, well, maybe, fingers crossed, I haven't heard anything. Maybe maybe I get to see you at Castlewood. 
You know what? Uh, if it's if things aren't super bad, um, you know, health and safety wise, I'm gonna go see those guys one way or the other. I love that crew. Yeah. Um, and in fact, I need to go back and make a a, a small correction to add in. So, I your question about your six best hours of racing. I know I piecemealed it together. Yep. I it was still a pretty good answer. But in 20, I'm going to get the year wrong. I'm terrible with years. Um, 2017, I think, maybe. Um, it was the year that uh, David Fry was diagnosed with uh, ALS. And he raced Castlewood. And at the time, he, he pretty much knew that it was going to be the last race that he would be able to do. And I was racing with Yvonne, a friend of Jeff and Kerry and, and Earl and all them. And after an hour or two into the race, we ended up teaming up with Jeff, Carey, and then David and Mary and raced the rest of the race with them. And that was the best three or four hours of racing I've ever had uh, to get to race with a good friend, uh, you know, one last time. Uh, that was awesome. Yeah, I, I love those guys. So I'll be there one way or the other if it's safe, um, even if it's a race. So. Yeah, well, you know, we're going to have to make some decisions on that ourselves. So. Yeah, for sure. But, all right. Um, I don't have anything else. Sounds good. And um, so. if we haven't had cause uh, to talk before then, um, make a note in your calendar and maybe next year around this time uh, we can have another chat and I can tell you about all the fantastic progress we've made. Yeah, I actually will. Um, you, I, you may or may not like this, but I got some ideas that I'll send you. Well, bring it on. Always need more <laughs> ideas. Yeah, well, that's good because I got a lot of people that I suggest things to, and I sometimes I worry that I have too many stupid ideas. But once in a while, so all right. Well, um, so well. Okay, one last question. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Are 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 you training like you would be normally? Okay, that's two questions technically. Yes, I'm training. Um, okay. It, I'm doing a pretty good job. Um, I'm actually working with a coach, with Jen Seger, and if I weren't, I would have no accountability. I'd be falling to pieces. And um, it's kind of humorous. I mentioned the lockdown. I, I did the lockdown, and I sent my results in to Brent and Abby, and I had a pretty – kind of snarky comment about how terrible geocaching was because I, I had the toughest time as a navigator geocaching infuriated me and uh, Abby replied with something along the lines of um, we just enjoy finding new ways to make you suffer and I was like oh that's funny and the next day they announced the prizes and I guess now I'm putting this out in the world so I'm making this more of a firm commitment uh, they announced the prizes and I won an entry into the Tunnel Hill Ultra 100-mile ultramarathon. And I, was, I emailed Abby back. I'm like, did you know that I won this when you sent that email about finding ways to make me suffer? <laughs> and she actually didn't, but it fit really well. So I've got that on the calendar. It's in mid-November. I've never done an ultra. I've never run more than 30 miles in my life. Uh, and so the training is shifting towards preparing for that. Even, I mean, I've got something on the calendar now, so even if it doesn't happen, I at least yeah. have something to keep me focused. I hope that it's safe for it to happen and it can run, but we'll see. Yeah, so, well, here's my advice on ultras. They mark, they have a marked course, they have aid stations, and it's only 100 miles. How hard can it be? Yeah, I'm just going to feel so unnatural. I may just have to bring a map with me to hold while I run just so I feel a little bit more at home. There you go. And, and, you know, put on about pack with about 30 pounds in it. I will yeah, make okay. the sacrifice of skipping the pack. I can leave that one aside. That's okay. Right. <laughs> okay. So, all right. Um, that's enough foolishness. Uh, except thank you and um, everybody else for stepping up. I, I'm, I'm really excited to... To, to see what happens and I, and I'm not I'm not saying this in a bad way but I'm looking forward to having messages answered we will do our best <laughs> so 
because I don't like to talk to people on the phone. Uh, hey, I'm I'm usually there with you, um, so I understand. No. All right. Uh, well, enjoy running 100 miles, and maybe I'll see you in December. Sounds good, Randy. Thanks. All right. Thank All right. you. Bye.
Monster Tones, ladies and gentlemen. The one and only Monster Tones. By day, a mild-mannered road crew. By night, huh, maniacs.